Yes, thank you, Prof. And good afternoon, everyone. You guys greet me. Good afternoon to you. Uh, I thank God that I'm here. I think there are, there are like two things I'm convinced of this afternoon. Uh, that none of us is here by mistake. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I don't think, at least God, you know, saw this day one time, I don't know when, and has made it come to pass. And I believe that he is with us as well. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to gather and to worship you. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing. I pray that you will speak to us and that we will hear what you're saying and go ahead to obey it in our lives. Um, bless this time and we thank you that you are here. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so as you've heard, my name is Simon Nyaika. Glad to be here. I attend this church. I've attended this church for a while. And I thank God. I thank God for how he has worked with me. Um, yeah, as Prof has mentioned, April, of course, is a new month. Today is just the third. And we'll be beginning a new series entitled The Power of the Gospel in Bringing Hope quite long, but it makes sense. Not so. The power of the gospel in bringing hope, and we'll be walking through the book of Colossians, and, and I'm honored really to be here uh, to share from chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. So I hope to achieve about three things today as I share. One is to show that Christ Jesus is the number one. That's what I called it. He's the number one. He's the in charge. He's the boss of all created things. And my second hope is to show that Christ Jesus is the one and only source of redemption from sin and the kingdom of darkness. And he's the only means of reconciliation with the Father. The third one, the third and final thing that I hope to achieve is to encourage us to receive the gospel, to believe it, and to worship God. So those three things, that's what I hope to achieve. So as I've mentioned, we will be going through the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter, a letter that Paul wrote to people that lived in a small city called Colosse. Yeah, so that's why they were called the Colossians. And these people had a good testimony. Although Paul had never met them personally, he had heard about their faith. When you read chapter 1, the way it begins, it says, I've heard about your faith and your love for one another. However, he had also heard that there were some strange teachings that had come in. Yeah? So he writes to address some of those. Some of those things emphasized strict observance of certain Jewish laws. You'll find that in chapter 2, you know. And others exalted or magnified what I called spiritual experiences and encounters 
such as angelic worship as a measure of true spirituality. Yeah, so those two things, those are some of the teachings that Paul was saying, guys, this is not, this is not it. And so in the letter, especially in chapter 1 and 2, he emphasizes Christ. He emphasizes the Son of God. And part of what he's writing about, as we will see, is to point believers to Christ and Christ alone. Yeah? To point believers to Jesus and Jesus alone, the head of all things and only source of salvation. So I'll read from verse 13, verses 13 and 14, then we'll connect uh, to 15. NIV says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Okay, the he there is talking about God the Father. Yeah? So God the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And it's in this Son that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's how the way Paul wrote, I'm sure you guys have noticed, he would explain things a lot. He would keep going and extending a thought and extending a thought and trying to exhaust its meaning so that the reader is able to understand. So at, when verse 15 begins, he now begins to explain who the son is, this son in whom the Colossians have redemption. Who is this son? Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I think let me define, okay, the definition I found for the word supreme. Did I mention that the theme today was the supremacy of Christ? I've mentioned it now. It's the supremacy of Christ. Yeah, that's the theme for today. The theme for the math is the power of the gospel in bringing hope. But today we are looking at the supremacy of Christ. So the definitions I found for the word supreme, one was greatest. The other was most dominant, having power over all others, highest in rank or authority. All those. So there's a comparison you see there. Someone who is supreme has to have people or things that they are compared with. Yeah, for them to, to judge and say, yeah, now this one is supreme. You can't be supreme alone. Yeah, that would be hard. So I thought about an example of something supreme or an example of supremacy. I don't know, there are insects, I don't know the name in English, but in one of the local dialects, okay, local languages, it's Akasisivirizi. Anyone know that they are usually in sugar, they like sugary things. Those tiny, they are not even doodles, they are smaller, yeah? They move in a line sometimes. Uh, have you ever tried to interact with that? One of them. Do you realize how supreme you are to that, to that, to that insect? Not so. 
You may even want to touch it like this and it's gone. <laughs> Supremacy. And for me, as I thought, I, I, I said, yeah, I think I'm supreme over this. But then remembered that there is one who, it's like we're on the same level. He's the one who sustains that kind of thing and he also sustains me. And yet for him, it depends on no one. Supremacy. I discovered also that there is, you can say supreme, supremer, and supremest. I didn't know that that existed. So that comparison, yeah, the greatest. And so we are saying Christ is greatest. But what does that mean? And we are going to see that in these scriptures. So it says, verse 15, as I've read, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The very image of God. He's not created in the image of God. That's not what Colossians is saying. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that Christ is created in the image of God. He's saying Christ is the very image of God. So he's not like us. Yeah? He is God. And we are going to see that explained even more clearly. In the Gospels, Jesus did not shy away from telling people that he was God. And I think Prav, who preached in the teen service, did mention that. He didn't shy away from telling people that I am God, I'm the one. So if you read, we won't read this, but if you're writing or taking notes, John chapter 8, verse 48 to 59. If you read John chapter 10, verse 22 to 42, you know, in John chapter 10, verse 30, it's where he says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews were like, you're dying today. We are stoning you for blasphemy. You are finished. To say, I and the Father are one. John 14, 8 to 14, they ask him, Lord, just show us the Father and that would be enough for us. And he says, hey guys, don't you believe that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? urging them to believe. So Christ, first of all, is distinct from every created, every creature, every created thing. He's different. He's in a league of his own. Yeah? And verse 16 will show that to us even more. So Paul goes ahead to explain what he's saying. For by him all things were Created. It's by him that everything else was created. So he can't be on the same level with the creation, isn't it? It's like saying man is on the same level with a shoe. Not so. It even sounds weird, right? By him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities... All things were created by him and for him. So we are not on the same level. Not so. We can't be on the same level. The visible things like plants, rivers, isn't it? He created those. They are created for him. The invisible like bacteria, viruses. Yeah? The wind and air. Anyone ever seen the wind and air? where it comes from, and you know, 
He created that the visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, spiritual beings, angels, yeah? He created, he created those who created, okay, it's not a question, but I continue to think, what about Satan? Did he create himself? Him and his demons and, you know, where did they come from? Created by God. But we know that they, they rebelled, isn't it? They started a coup and they didn't succeed. Not so. They were kicked out of, of heaven. He's a creature. Eh? Satan is a creature like all other creatures that are part of God's creation. Not so. He is just like mankind rebelled not so. At the encouragement of Satan, so did Satan rebel. I don't know who encouraged him. But yeah, he's a creature like any other. Demons are created as well. They are created spiritual beings. All things. Think about the planets, the solar system, and all those kinds of things. Jesus the Son of God. It's by Him that all things have been created. He is before all things. That's verse 17. Yes, He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is before, before. That brings in the, the time element, isn't it? He's before. And then John chapter 1, which many of us could be familiar with. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So he's before, he's number one, even in terms of time. He's supreme even there as well. No one came before him. He's God. He's God. He sustains all things. He's holding all things together. The reason why this world has not fallen apart is because Jesus is holding it together. Would we ponder that? If you just, he's holding all things simultaneously, isn't it? The whales in the sea, the sharks, some of those things we may never see, some of us, you know, but we watch them. The tilapia, marine cows, goats, sheep, caterpillars, butterflies, or everything simultaneously, right? The other day I shared that for me, it amazes me when I think about it sometimes, that my heart has never stopped beating. It has no generator, engine. At least I can speak for mine because I know. <laughs> Nothing. It has never stopped. It has never, never. Now that's just the heart. There's a whole system, isn't it? The doctors. And it works. <laughs> 
He sustains all things. All thi no one supports him, isn't it? No one prays for him. Have you ever prayed for Jesus? That long guy, his assignment, <laughs> anyway. So he's before all things. He sustains all. He runs the universe, isn't it? If you've heard scientists talk about the solar system, our solar system, the planets, and you know, they are going where to just Mars and the moon and what's there, and there's a whole universe out there. He sustains all things, all things. All things. 18 says he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Who is this Jesus that we worship? The head of the church, his body. Yeah, the people of God that he died for, that he redeemed, the family of God. He has not delegated his leadership of the church. He's the head, isn't it? Even those who claim have had, some claim to have regular meetings with him. I don't know who sets the agenda for those meetings and even those. Not so. We are all on level ground, isn't it? He's the head. He's the head of the body. This body with many parts that he equips, that he sustains, that he gifts, that he has given his Holy Spirit to be empowered and to serve one another and to work in the extension of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom. We are his body and he's the head of this body. So that in everything eh, he might have the supremacy. Guys, let's ponder on his supremacy in creation. Who can threaten him? So who can contend with him and prosper? The creator of all things. The one through whom everything exists. The only one who is in charge. He has no team. He has no committee. He has no cabinet. He is running things single-handedly. He has never failed, even for a moment, from the beginning, isn't it? Till the end. Revelation ends with him saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He needs no support. He needs no encouragement or advice. Christ, the Son of God. The supremacy of of Christ. The angels don't help him. Not so. Many of them rebelled, isn't it? His throne, we don't read anywhere that his throne even shifted for a bit or that there was a crisis. They serve him. They don't contribute to his being God. <laughs> they don't contribute. They are servants. Not so. They do his bidding. He sends them go and they go. He sends them to encamp around his children, and they do just that. They don't support his being God. He is God himself. Not so. 
He depends on no one. Right? He depends on no one. Our prayers, eh? Don't, don't help him to be God. If all of us agreed never to pray again, God would not change. He would not change. Yeah? He would not change. This is, this is the, the supremacy of Christ. He is all-sufficient in and of himself. That's why he's worthy to be praised, creator, sustainer of all things from the beginning until now. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19 and 20, as I conclude or begin to conclude, this is what it says. I actually read from 19. Okay, yes, 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So there's something else that Paul is trying to explain here. And I think this is where the gospel comes in. Everything we've read has not talked about the gospel. It's just been describing who Christ is and the level he's at, his nature. Now Paul's next thought I believe in verse 19 and 20 is what introduces the gospel. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All the fullness of God the Father dwells in Christ. Christ is fully God. Fully God and fully, he was fully man. Yeah, when he came. And God chose to reconcile all things to himself through Christ. And I believe it's because there was no one else. There was no one Else, how? How does he reconcile? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the gospel. I've had, I had somewhere, I don't remember where, that gospel is defined as news, good news, news that's too good to hear. You hear it and you can't believe it. That's the gospel. That this Christ, who is as supreme as we've read, humbled himself. Philippians tells us, not so. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be taken advantage of, but he humbled himself and became obedient to, to death. Death on a cross. To be hung on a tree by men, isn't it? Men he created. Men who couldn't even crucify him unless he sustained them. Isn't it? The strength they had to nail him to the cross is the one he had supplied to, to them. We sang about the love of God. Isn't it? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is Jesus. Isn't it? Fully God. The chosen servant of God through whom all things would be reconciled to God the Father. This God of relationship. This God who pursues, isn't it? 
who is relentless, who will chase after his own. This is the gospel. His blood shed on the cross. Couldn't someone else die? You know, in Yom's we mentioned, you know, crucifixion. There were many who were crucified in the time of the Romans. It was a whole of killing, right? Actually, there were thieves that were crucified with Jesus on that day. Couldn't God have chosen one of them? Is it that they didn't have enough blood? Is it the liters that God was looking for? No, isn't it? The issue is sin. He needed a lamb without blemish. That's a picture from the Old Testament, right? They needed, they needed to look for a lamb that was pure, let me say, on the outside. And God was showing them that man, for, 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 for sin to be wiped away, to be cleansed, I can only accept a sacrifice that is pure. But all of you are tainted, isn't it? You don't even choose. We are born with this nature. We are born in sin. He's distinct. Because sin had no power over him. He never bent his knee to sin. Even when he faced temptations, the nature that you and I face every day, even today, right? So even in the business of reconciliation, Christ is the only way. Not so. He's supreme in creation, but he's supreme in reconciliation as well. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to men by which they are saved other than the name of Jesus. That's verse 12 of Acts chapter 4. The message of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is the only means by which man is delivered from sin and Satan. It is the only tool or means for deliverance from forces of darkness. From these powers, rulers, authorities, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Not so. It's only through Christ. It's only through the gospel that man can find deliverance and freedom from these things. It is the message that the disciples and apostles preached in Acts that set people free from demonic oppression and possession. And it's important to say that because part of why Paul is writing is because the people in Colossians were beginning to become misled because of a certain spirituality, an affinity, a desire for the, the, the spiritual, the mysterious, the knowledge, but also experiences and encounters. And we'll read Colossians 2 where we will see that. They did not do teachings. I tried to look. And here I will say, of course, if I missed something, you can definitely, please. But I tried to look in Acts. I didn't find a portion where they taught on the demons, on the strongholds, or even on, on deliverance itself. They taught the gospel. They taught the good news of of Christ. They say that 
Guys, he came to die for us, to take away our sin. The deliverance came as a result of the power of the gospel taking root in their lives. They were set free. The kingdom of darkness was scattered as the light of the gospel came through. This was their message. May this be our message. Friends, be careful about any teaching that magnifies what you must do to receive your deliverance. What contribution can we make other than to believe Christ, the Son of God, isn't it? What other contribution can... He has set us free. He has defeated Satan single-handedly. No one was praying for him in that moment, isn't it? His close associates had fled. He went to that cross alone, isn't it? At some point, even the Father withdrew from him, isn't it? He says, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And the wrath of God came upon him in its fullness. Not so. How then can we come in to make a contribution when everything has been done? Not so. When everything has been done, and we now, we, we now want to contribute something, ours is to believe. Be careful about any teaching that emphasizes spiritual encounters and experiences are not Christ, the Son of, of God. Be careful about any teaching that magnifies the power, ability, or authority of any man or woman or servant of God other than that of Christ. There is no copyright that any man or woman or servant of God has over the power of God. They don't own it. I don't own it. We don't own it. It's not ours, isn't it? It's not. It's delegated power. Not so. You cast out the demon without the power of God and see what will happen. Who can we convert? Who can we convince in our own wisdom and intellect? Eh? To turn the, the heart of a man from sin. Which power do you have? Which power do I have? We see in the, that the scripture is clear. The word of God is, is clear. He is the one who is powerful. He's the one who is supreme. He's the number one. The rest of us are on level ground. And what a privilege it is. I would have it no other way. No one walking the face of this planet owns the power of God that saves, that heals, that sets people free. Only Christ is supreme. He single-handedly defeated the devil and his demons alone without our help without anyone praying for him and now he empowers us by his spirit that through faith and verse 23 brings that out clearly it's through faith in him that we too might participate in this war against sin against forces of darkness friends no one wants to see people set free 
from demonic oppression more than God. No one, isn't it? No one wants to see people delivered, set free, coming into relationship with him more than God. And the cross demonstrates that him going there demonstrates that his desire is for freedom for his people. Guys, may we not forget the cross of Jesus and what it's about. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15 brings out this point. Same book, chapter 2, when you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed. I liked that word. It's military language, isn't it? Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I have not read anyone else there who participated with Christ in what he did, isn't it? In defeating sin and Satan. He disarmed to this, if, if, if you read, read the news or watch it, there has been something going on in, in Karamoja to disarm you know, the Karimajong. Basically, you take away their arms peacefully. Not so. This wasn't peaceful, I think. This was war, right? He disarmed them. He disarmed them. He disarmed them. He disarmed them. Remember, he's the creator, isn't it? He's the one through whom these beings were created. He disarmed them. He took away their power. Not so. He triumphed at the cross. The war was won. Satan is defeated. But we are in that in-between phase. Not so. Some battles are still going on. They still go on. We, we, we sense that tension in our hearts as we struggle with sin. You know? As we see the kingdom of darkness manifest in our nation, in our families. But he has appointed us as soldiers in his army with this message of truth, with this gospel, that with the empowerment of his spirit we might be used by him in his mission. And so as I conclude... If there is any power or authority that we have, it is delegated power that we can only access by faith. And so 21 says, once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, 
But now, 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 he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. And guys, this is my encouragement to us this afternoon. Won't we continue in the faith? Faith in what? Not in our prayers, isn't it? Not in our righteousness. Not in how much we know. Not in our experience. Not even in how the demons have responded to our casting out. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, the Spirit submit to us in your name. He said, okay, yes, that's good. But rejoice more that your names are written in heaven. May we continue in the faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Not moved from the hope held out in, in the gospel. That sinners are reached out to by a holy God who sends his son who dies for their sin, who defeats the enemy of God. Not so. And he says to the world, believe me, isn't it? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through, through him. Faith. Brothers and sisters, receive the gospel. Believe the gospel. Cling to the gospel and worship God. He's the only one who is worthy of our worship. Ponder upon what he has done in scripture. How he has triumphed. And I was reminded of that verse, I think I didn't write it down, in John, I think it's John chapter 19, just before he died, when he said it is finished. It is finished, isn't it? It's done. Mission accomplished. That's John chapter 19, verse 30. So do you want to worship God? I read an article that really blessed me, and this is how one of the paragraphs had these statements. Do you want to worship God? Love him. Do you want to love God? Know him. Do you want to know him? Seek him. Do you want to seek him? Find him in the word, because he has revealed himself there. He has revealed himself in scripture. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, because 
you have done it all. I encourage you, friends, in your own words, to just thank him for what he has done for us, for the cross of Jesus, that he fought for us, that he came for us, that he has overcome, that he has overcome, that he has revealed to us and given to us, even as we are reminded, this love that is beyond knowing and understanding, that in him we are more than conquerors. That there is neither height nor depth. There is no angel or demon. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Our Lord, want to celebrate his love in your own words. You are worthy of all worship. You are worthy of all adoration. You are holy and there is no one like you. You have overcome. You have overcome. You have overcome. We proclaim your victory. We proclaim your victory over the enemy, over his agents, over the kingdom of darkness. We proclaim your victory over sin. We proclaim your victory over every form of darkness you have overcome. And there is no one like you. We are not afraid because no one can steal this victory from you. This victory that you share with us. You are seated in authority. Far above all rule and dominion and power and authority. You are in charge. You are in control. And we worship you. We praise you. We exalt you. Be enthroned this afternoon. There is no one like you. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you? Who is awesome in glory, majestic in power, working wonders? You alone are the miracle worker. The power is yours. The power to take a sinner off his course and bring them into your kingdom. My brother, my sister, you want to remember the cross. You want to remember where Christ met you and how he redeemed you and you want to remember that he has called you to live for this gospel. To live for this gospel. To love him supremely and do away with the bare minimums and comparing him the things of this world is in a league of his own and so my brother my sister if you're here and you've never known the Lord he loves you he wants you he wants a relationship with you he has made it possible for you to come and know him will you receive him by faith this afternoon that you confess your sin before him acknowledge that you are a sinner receive him in your heart surrender your life to him surrender to his lordship he's already lord after all he's 
already Lord after all. You are Lord of all things and there is no one like you. Lord, help us to cling to the gospel. To cling to the gospel. And help us to share this gospel with others. Blessed be your name. Lord, you are good. You are loving. You are faithful. We give you thanks and praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.